Merry Christmas and welcome to Nerdy for 30, the podcast where we talk about nerdyish things for 30-ish minutes. This is a very special holiday edition of the show. We are here at the culmination of season's beatings. We've been talking about holiday action movies the entire month, and we are going to wrap it up with the greatest holiday action movie of all time. Die Hard. We talked about it last year. It's so good. We're right back here again talking about it again, which means we had to bring back our guest. You know him from Pod Cusack. You know him from fronting the band Sea Urchin. You love him for all of it. It's Matt Strickland. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Yippee Kaye! Nerdy for 30. It's so <laughs> happy. I'm so happy to be here. I'm, uh, you know, in your intro, you said it's the best. Christmas action movie of all time. I'll say it's the best action movie. No, it's the best movie of all Whoa. time. Oh my God. My favorite. And uh, good that you got the video running because you can see I am wearing my. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a machine gun ho 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 sweatshirt to get in the. It's the first time I broke it out this, this holiday season. So. I'm I'm fucking ready. Let's go. Are those oh blood God, stains or is that just your wet hair just staying? <laughs> It'd be funny if it I came really with the blood stain. It happened until I was posing for the camera and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this was a mistake. I the first thing I thought of when I saw that scene was like, I have to get that sweatshirt. <laughs> I was like, somebody has to make this. And now Matt's rocking it. I love it. Matt, is there enough meat on this diehard bone for us to spend yet another year talking about the greatest action movie of all time? I'm not sure that we'll really start running out of things to talk about until we get to like year 10, 12. <laughs> Once the 30 for 30 diehard tradition hits puberty, that's when it might, maybe it'll slow down. But I would say we have to go at least 25 years. <laughs> We gotta go at least years. 25. As you know, the entire point of this podcast is to earn enough money to get the rights to play the movie on YouTube so that we can do our own director's commentary over top. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we need to do a mystery yeah. science theater over Die Hard. Mm -hmm. Should be fantastic. Uh, listeners, listeners out there, start Venmoing me money at Matthew Dash Lee Dash Strickland. We're gonna edit that I out. You I will no, take that's that a bold money. move. Yeah, we're gonna I take that right out of there. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to bleep that the money for the, buying the rights to die hard you can also send him as many requests as you want <laughs> yeah guys where I'll do we say, even begin with this you know i'll say oh no you know you go you sound like you had a great head of steam and i just cut you off go oh, for it's it. all good i was gonna say where do we even begin with this i think we gotta begin at the beginning the plane scene what a uh, weird way to start the movie right <laughs> I love it because, you know, it's it's this the movie's so great. It sets things up and pays them off. You know, the plane scene, he, it like establishes that he's a cop. It establishes that he's uh, he hates to fly, which then leads to the taking off the shoot, you know, all that stuff, which then leads to the great. He's barefoot the whole time. It establishes that every uh, chick wants to fuck John McClane. <laughs> <laughs> um, it establishes he, that he's just like a blue collar guy, you know, which is so here's sort of what I was thinking this time around. Is this the greatest? OK, <laughs> I've, I've never you know, I would, didn't study history. It's in college, uh, you know, besides the 
the basic requirements. I didn't study economics in college besides the basic requirements. But is this the best anti-capitalist Marxist action movie? Sure, I know John McTiernan's <laughs> a Republican, the director, and I know the star Bruce Willis is a Republican, but could it be that they secretly made a beautifully uh, Marxist action movie that's just about the proletariat, this blue-collar cop taking down these fucking suited capitalists do you think it's really an attack on capitalism if it's like it's in the building it's like where they're doing it? i guess the guy who runs the company dies like how far can we push this this analogy the guy who runs the company takagi he dies he's an asshole but he's killed by alan rickman who the whole thing is set up where he's like they think he's a terrorist right that he's he's working to further some ideology uh, and like, which leads to that great joke, Asian Dawn read about them in Time magazine, you know, but he, <laughs> his only ideology is money. His, his, he's a pure capitalist. He's not a terrorist. He has no uh, integrity or, or, or ideology. He's trying to further. He's purely a capitalist uh, and he's taken down by a blue collar guy from New Jersey. I mean, that's like, Probably, probably one of the reasons I love the movie so much because it's like a, it's a fantasy, a, like a blue collar Jersey fantasy. Yeah, not since Animal Farm has such biting satire <laughs> been, <laughs> been put on display. I did hear George Orwell did the first draft of this one. How, it's interesting because watching this time around, it definitely seems like uh, Bruce Willis has like a very. I was getting a lot more of the like American ideals versus European ideals situation. And it totally feels like Bruce Willis has a kill them all and let God sort them out approach to life. Like he's just going to fucking do whatever and everybody else is going to figure out a way to deal with it. So thinking about it now, I can definitely see the symbolism you're talking about where it's like, yeah, this is a blue collar guy. This is a fantasy about a blue collar guy who's able to like fight his way out of a situation that he's hopelessly outclassed in. But it's almost like he's threatened, right? His, his you know, his marriage is threatened by the, this this job his wife has. And, uh, you know, the coworker who's clearly trying to fuck Holly mm-hmm. and the her boss is Mr. Takagi, who can give. Holly the life that John McClane can't uh, can't give her. And at the end of the movie, Takagi, bullet through the brain. Ella, <laughs> bullet through the brain. brain. Nakatomi Plaza, blown to bits. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. And, and his wife doesn't have a job anymore. She can't, yeah. she can't yeah. go back there. <laughs> it completely ruined her, her career. <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure he was on her health insurance. All the symbols of of this, uh, you know, white collar capitalist lifestyle have been blown up and shut. (laughs) But I think it's a it's a question of intent for me. Like, do you think that uh, in this analogy, it's not they don't have that intent. Well, I I don't even mean the filmmakers. I mean, in so far as like uh, like furthering this symbolism. Do you think that we can map any kind of an intent on Bruce Willis as like a blue collar hero going after this? Because I think that's a big difference when we're talking about like the Marxist philosophy is that it's aimed at capitalism. Like, whereas I feel like uh, I guess I don't know, maybe it's a response thing because he is being directly attacked by these capitalists. 
Sure. But you have to think that he goes he goes to California with some intent to dismantle it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. California line. Like, this? whether it's conscious or subconscious, he's going out there hoping that she'll be like, it sucks out here. I hate making all this money. Should I'll come back and live in an outer borough with you? Right? Dude, this leaves this leaves into exactly into my takeaway from this rewatch I did. <laughs> John McClane is the villain of this movie and Alan Rickman is the hero. John McClane is a piece of he's a sociopath. He's a piece of shit. He is horrible to his wife. He has well, he is the a cop. He he's a, a cop. cop. He's scum. You know, he's he just sucks. He's a he's a bad person. Right. His best friend is another cop who has, you know, abused his power and, and murdered an innocent child. Right. So they're they're connecting over that their love of violence. And then. When he gets off the plane, he sees the couple running to hug each other and he's like only in California. And it's like, oh, okay. so he thinks showing any sort of love or compassion towards your partner is something that only could happen in California. That's not how he's ever treated his wife before. He thinks the idea of her jumping into his arms is laughable and less than him. Right. So he's like he's he's a shitty he also hates that his wife has a job, so he's sexist, and he doesn't think she's going to succeed. She doesn't. He doesn't sexist. believe in her. He, he just doesn't want her to have this job. She she could be a diner waitress. Sure, she could be a lower status job underneath him. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. could be a candy yeah. striper that he comes to to get patched up. <laughs> yeah. As long as dinner's on the table when John McClane comes home, he doesn't care what she does. <laughs> but. I'm but with so this John McClane's a villain angle. The line the limo, when he's talking to Argyle in the limo. Yeah. See, but here, that goes back. That goes a little bit into my reading. Sir, I will caveat that just even the, by the fact that John McClane is a cop is sort of like the Marxist reading sort of deflates because, you know, as we know, cops are fascist tools of state, blah, blah, blah. But he he he's he's riding in the limo, right? He doesn't sit in the back. Like some kind of big shot Hollywood bigwig, he sits in the front. He's like, equal Argyle, like He's a sociopath, like a sociopath who's never even heard of a limo before. This man has no concept of what a limo is. He's he's he's, he's confounded by it. Oh, he's too blue collar. He's it's toxic masculinity at its finest. <laughs> He is. He thinks it's oh, it's like to California to like get in the back seat and be chauffeured around. No, I have to creep out this driver who like the drivers like protect like there's some separation between the client and the driver. Tim, I think you're being. Am I being elitist? You're a coastal elite. Uh, and, and you don't understand that this is a simple man, you know, he doesn't know the, the ins and outs of high, high class parties and, and limos and, and skyscrapers. He's from New York. He's <laughs> 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 never even heard of a limo. He's never seen one in a movie. He's never heard of, of getting in the back with it. I don't know. I just feel like it's a real power move. You know, like when you call the Uber and then you sit in the passenger seat next to the driver, it's just like a real, 
it's like it feels like i always feel like i'm intruding on their space when that happens you know they let it happen wait have you ever done that when it's just you (laughs) no how crazy would that be that's what john mcclain did that's what john mcclain did he called an uber and then he sat in the passenger seat with no one in the back this guy's crazy crazy you know, it's great about that too argyle did have to do that same thing that always happens when that happens in an uber where the driver has to move some stuff out of the front seat so you can yeah. sit there <laughs> <laughs> there's always they always have stuff on the seat and then you show up with like five people everybody knows you should have ordered an excel nobody wants to pay for an excel they're like yeah i guess i'll move this burger king bag out of here <laughs> i got a question for you tim John McLean sitting in the front seat of this limo. Yeah. Imposing on Argyle. When he's yeah. sitting in that seat, do you think he's manspreading? Oh, he's definitely manspreading. I don't, I mean, well, don't get me off on this manspreading thing because I think manspreading has been under attack for too damn long. Men spread those legs. Let okay, the this is not the direction breathe. I wanted to take that. This is there. not at all. He's in a, all of a sudden Kevin is like, oh, is he manspreading in this one this one person seat? This is his personal space. Oh, well, now he's claimed it. I mean, this is like uh, some white savior bullshit or like what what was the thing where it was like uh, where where Americans just like ventured into the, you know, like uh, they just conquered other lands because of what? Manifest destiny. <laughs> yeah, manifest destiny. This is him encroaching <laughs> on a man's space, taking territory that does not belong to him just so he can masquerade as a tough guy. All right. All right. And now then- I have a question, Tim. Part of your whole thesis <laughs> is that he's the villain. So if he's the villain, how is Gruber the hero? I just think Alan Rickman is. I just I just love Alan Rickman so much in this. Because he's charming. I- yeah, he's charming. He's a nice guy. He's always been cool to me. That's the thing I don't understand is like he, I heard all these bad things about him, but he's always been a nice guy to me. I just had have so much fun this time watching the bad guys set things up. That's like so much of the movie is the bad guys going into a thing and like hacking into a grid. And now they got to come over here. And now they got to hack into the vault. And then one guy's going to cut the power and the other guy. And they're like bickering with each other. Like they're I all love, like their characters. It's so fun watching them do this stuff. I love this is part of what makes it like a cut above many other action movies is that they have all relationships with each other. Even in, it'll be just like established in one scene. Like. Uh, you know, the hack cool, like the s- sarcastic hacker guy or but just that moment where the brother, the guy who ends up in this sweatshirt is trying to like do that weird wire cutting thing. And then Alexander Gubnov comes in with the like the power saw and cuts all the stuff. And he's like freaking out because he's got to <laughs> yeah. like, do the wire thing before the saw. And it's like they're just like fucking with each other. And it like it is sort of establishes this like rapport that they have. And you can like in that one tiny moment, you sort of imagine a whole relationship that all these guys have. And it's like that kind of stuff is so like not needed to make the movie make sense yeah. or go. But it's like that extra stuff that makes it such a great movie. Oh, for sure. Oh, it was so much fun to watch. That is an observation that I had this time around, too, is the fact that they really, truly had a plan. Like there are stages to what they did. There are fail safes, there are contingencies when they are ready for the cops to storm the plaza. That's when they break out the rocket launchers. They didn't just have them, you know, like it's uh, it was (laughs) wonderful. 
it and, and Alan like, Rickman, I I think is he's an he's an incredible leader. He has a great relationship with his crew. He's also you're talking about like capitalism, and I guess maybe this is the best like capitalist argument. But he is like robbing a very rich corporation. Like he is he is stealing from the rich and the upper class. And it's money that isn't going to like negatively impact anybody. So why can't he just, I mean, he should be robbing this company probably, right? Well, if this giant skyscraper in LA. Right? He's, he's a capitalist. He's, he's a capitalist because he's, he's no like, he's not Robin Hood, you know, he, he, just, he is just another, that's why, um, uh, what's his name? That's why Ellis is like, you know, you use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Like they're they're equals here. He, like he's going up in the elevator with Takagi. He's like, John Phillips, your suit. I have two myself. He's of that world, you know. So this is just yes. a all of put it perfectly. It's just a you know a hostage takeover situation. And he is this, he is just another one of these capitalists that they do all the stuff up here and the proletariat down here is like trying to you know, run around and kill terrorists with no shoes on. Yeah, I disagree. I bet there's like a village back home that he has like that is like running out of food and he has to like get the money to like bring back to his family. Like there's like some ulterior motive for this that could be very, uh, you know, gregarious and loving. Also, he kills Ellis, which is a face move. That's a hero move <laughs> to kill Ellis. Ellis is clearly a villain. He's clearly a piece of shit. Him dying is like a, a real notch notch in the belt as far as him being a good guy, I think. Yeah, he is like the best one of the best characters in the movie, though. Ellis is <laughs> he's amazing. He's so good. Ob, I mean, like, <laughs> that whole scene is so perfectly written, and uh, that that actor is so great. Yeah, that actor directed the movie PCU. I don't know what that is. Same here. <laughs> a fun fact: PCU is a. Uh, College comedy starring Jeremy Piven from the nineties. Piven Hart College Bachner. University. Yeah, Hart Bachner is the actor's name. This doesn't matter. You can cut this out. <laughs> We're <laughs> keeping it. In. Just a, you know, just a, a fun fact for the PCU heads out there. Yeah, yeah. This is this is for the Bachner tribe. Uh, they love those PCU shoutouts. Uh, the uh, Ellis thing. Oh boy, we're definitely gonna have to cut this out. I just completely derailed. <laughs> no, I had no idea what I was aiming toward. Uh, Hans Gruber. Uh, it stood out to me. A moment in this stood out to me, which I think again paints him in a heroic light. Right, the scene where him and John McClane have that their first like face to face. Right, Hans Gruber is the leader of this operation. He's the boss. Right. But he's not he's not just a boss. He's a leader. You ever see that like picture like that cartoon where it's like a boss is like on like all these people are trying to push a push a boulder and or like a big stone and the boss is on the top of the stone. He's standing on the stone yelling at everybody and the leader is out in front with a rope pulling the stone with the rest of his team showing them where to go. Hans Gruber does not need to go to the roof by himself and check on the explosives. But he knows that he's short staffed. He 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 doesn't want to risk one of his own guys. So he does this job himself. He puts himself in the line of fire to to make this check. And ultimately, you know, he gets caught up by John McClane. But I thought it was a very selfless act for Hans Gruber to go up there and check <laughs> check the roof himself. I thought it showed great leadership, great morale. 
I mean, he's 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 a protagonist for sure in this, I think. He does also rig the entire roof to explode and kill all of those people, including that woman's unborn child. So he's not, you know, he's pro choice. His choice. His choice. His choice. Oh my god. Oh geez, this will be our last episode. Uh, <laughs> well, geez, I don't know. I guess. Uh, I guess Go out with a bang. You put me around your way of thinking, Tim. <laughs> I really did not expect this uh, this argument to have legs whatsoever. I do like the idea that like secretly Hans Gruber is doing this for altruistic means. And like maybe there's like a read like my headcanon for this is now going to be that uh, the reason that he's able to do that flawless California accent is because back home in the village that Gruber's from, he's like (laughs) the best actor in the village. And like he never, you know, he never wanted to be the one to do this heist anyway, but they needed someone that would be convincing as a ruthless business businessman to pull off this heist and Gruber had to do he's it. Doing, he's an actor. Uh, like Neil Simon plays in Eastern Romania somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's not, he's not like jacked. He's not like an enforcer, Mm-mm. but he's earned their respect. Mm-hmm. And I think that says more about him than, you know, any musculature or body type possibly could. So I do want to, as a, as a tangent to this, I do want to call out like that part of Rickman as an antagonist. This is one that's really been standing out to me lately. Like we talked about lethal weapon two a couple weeks ago on the pod. And, uh, there have been so many of these action movies where you have the foil for the hero, just being another big buff guy that they have to go up against. But when you look at Rickman, He's a precision instrument. He's doing these like hand flourishes that you wouldn't typically see from someone that's supposed to be an action movie villain. Like he really truly is a different type of guy in that way than you're used to seeing with like, you know, your Bruce Willis's, the tank top, the rippling muscles, the sweat slick, the blood stains all over the place. Um, I can picture, I mean, shit in, I was going to say, I can picture John McClane opening a beer with his mouth. That literally happens in Lethal Weapon 2. Mo Gibson <laughs> rips a, and it's a, a bottle. It's not even a can. Um, but like Alan Rickman, there's something about him that just reads as so much more intelligent and it's a completely different type of threat. And I think it's a lot more interesting of a threat to have the protagonist go up against because all the henchmen can be other macho guys. But like, I think it really says something to have a big bad that is truly going to require a different approach. It, yeah, it feels like, like his, like he's Lex Luthor to uh, Superman to Bruce Willis as Superman in this. Yeah. Right? It's like Superman and he's taking like a blue collar approach and then he's trying to out and then it becomes like an intellectual battle, but they're, they're kind of fighting in different and different levels, I think. But what were we going to say, Matt? I was just going to say it's, it speaks to the casting ingenuity of the movie to not only have, you know, sort of a British stage actor, Alan Rickman come in to play the villain rather than like a buff guy, but also the buff guy in the movie 
is Alexander Gudnov, who is like a ballerina, you know, one of like, I think after Baryshnikov of like the 80s, he was like the bet, the greatest Russian ballerina of the time. So it's like even the the buff beefcake guy is a little bit more like the way he's very graceful, like when he's walking across the roof, you know, to like with the gun like this, because he, you know, he has he's the ballerina. So it's like they're, they're taking different types of people they're bringing different types of people to the movie than you would have seen in like Commando or Cobra or whatever, any of those types of movies. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I think it's so much more interesting. Yeah. If they do a Die Hard 6, I mean, the three of us are sitting right here. <laughs> you know, and we're unlike people that have been cast in movies before because we're, you know, like untalented actors. Sure. Yeah. We so, could be great villains. Mm. Yeah. Confusing villains for sure. <laughs> like, what are these Absolutely. guys even doing here? But I had a great time, probably. The villains of the new Die Hard are three Brooklyn podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, is villain most of the country it, totally on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of us would be really into like crypto. No, it would be some crypto scam probably that we were trying to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we lost all our money in crypto and now we're robbing a bank to recoup our losses. <laughs> yeah. It's the bank John McClane just started then, working uh, at. We get a great guard. gag where like uh I'm like the hacker, I get us into the bank vault, and then it opens up and Strickland's like where are all the NFTs? And I'm like, what? And he's like, we opened up the vault. Where are all the NFTs? I'm expecting to go and do a diehard opening up all the things and have the NFTs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we just start turning on each other. And then that's the, <laughs> we kill each other before McLean even gets to us. God, I think this is an idea. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not perfect. We have to iron out some of the kinks, but uh, there's there's definitely some there's some meat on that bone. Yeah, yeah, we can get that working. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we we start writing tonight. We'll call in sick tomorrow and just <laughs> just dedicate all my time to this. This six. Yeah, what but it's like Bruce Willis is retired this. now too. Speaking of tomorrow. What do you think happens immediately the next day for John McClane? So, I mean, it's it's pretty late when this is over. Like, do we think this is taking place on Christmas Eve? It's got to be pretty much Christmas Day by the time he's done, right? Like Christmas morning. See, he, they, they get into that limo, right? And I think you think the idea is that they go home to like be with the children. But I think pretty quickly, Holly takes a look at his feet and is like, oh, no, you like you have to go to the hospital. Like, yeah. you, you can't just like, come home and have Christmas with the kids. I'm sorry. But, like, I'll bring them to you. But you need to, like you are so injured. He, I'm sure he's got some cracked ribs and like he is in so much pain. So I think really it's like what is like the day six days down the line look like when he is released from the hospital because he's got like so many stitches in his feet he's got definitely some broken bones he's he's in bad shape at the end of the movie so the yeah. christmas day for him is just reconstructive surgery on the feet that's it like family <laughs> maybe stops by to say hi come in. they say hello to dad and you know but then it's like it's clear we know from the film Die Hard with a Vengeance that they have another split up, you know, 
and Holly and 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 they they you know it's implied that maybe they get back together at the end of that movie, but you know she pops up in Die Hard too, so they're still together. So their their relationship is good for a while, and he becomes an L.A. cop. He moves to L.A. and then uh, and then it go turns south, and he has to move back to New York at some point. Mm. Yeah, I was gonna say I I haven't seen Die Hard too. But I I like to just preserve Die Hard as its own thing. I don't know. It's, it is sort of perfect. But Die Hard 2 is, I think, it's been one of those, like, people have shit on it so much that now it's become underrated. Uh, mm. And it's it's not as bad as people. It's, it's not as good as Die Hard The Vengeance, which is also really good. But it's certainly, it's certainly worth a watch. Also a Christmas movie. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely say Die I Hard 2 is say, I feel watch. like they get through like the holidays together and then, you know, after a while he stops hugging her, you know, or he's like, OK, so we're heading back to New York now. And she's like, no, I have a house here. The kids are in school. I have to stay. And then he goes and he's like, but I, I have a job. And then he tries to go to New York or he tries to stay. But then they stop hugging as they were before. And he just stops, you know, being as, you know, generous with his with his like lo- showing his love of her you know he stops he stops doing all the things all the california things that he thought were beneath him before and then slowly you know comes up with another plot to sabotage uh, a hero from <laughs> from saving his village i don't know there's something i i think we could redo this i mean history will be on my side <laughs> when it comes to John McClane. Do you guys watch Die Hard? I mean, how many times have you seen the film? Like, I've certainly seen it more than. In I'm in the like fifty ish range, probably over the course of my life. Um, I'm still in single digits, I think, but it's okay. close. Yeah, yeah, I think I am too. I think I saw it for the first time in maybe like 2016, 15 or sixteen, like relatively recently. And have watched it every year since then. And a couple more times, probably around like, yeah, nine ish. When you see it, so you, but you've seen it a few times now. What is your experience when watching it? Do you find that you're seeing new things or are you just enjoying the experience? Like, is it just, you know, I, I, cause for me, it's like I've memorized this movie basically. Uh, and now when I watch it, sometimes I'll bring like, like I thought of the Marxist angle before I rewatched it, you know? So it's like, I was going <laughs> in for an angle, but it's not like that just like appeared to me. Cause it's like clearly not true. <laughs> uh, but it's like, I feel like I'm, I'm less like finding new things and just like enjoying it the way you enjoy a good peach. And you're like, I know what a peach tastes like. I'm not going to like, it's not going to be reinvented for me, but I, I'm never going to not want like a good peach. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, um, I mean, my, my whole Hans Gruber is the hero take was just this time for whatever reason, I just got so much more enjoyment out of the villains in this. That was kind of my revelation this time was like, I loved all their relationships. I loved how they had so much busy work to do. And it just really <laughs> resonated with me this time. How the big bad you were talking about was, was so driven 
because his brother died, which I guess I don't know why I never really that never really sunk in with me. But he is like out for vengeance. He's like he needs revenge. Like it is it became very personal to him. And there's a reason why he's like at the end of the movie doing, you know, trying to get his last shot in and like going after him and everything. Um, Yeah, I just I really enjoyed it. Sweet. So now I'm like having trouble remembering. Is he the same guy? Is the ballerina dude the same dude at the end who like stands up and tries to take the shot at him? Yeah. 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 So then he didn't fall out of the building, right? How did he get to the bottom? I think he like, the cops probably found him injured because remember McLean like basically hangs him. At, they have that fight yeah. at the top yeah, yeah. and he hangs him with the chain, and you think he's dead. It's sort of like the you know the Jason Voorhees like coming for one last kill. Uh, so I'm sure you know just some paramedic was like, "Holy shit, you're in terrible shape. <laughs> Let me get you out." And he's like, "Fuck off!" And he like grabs his gun and goes. Because. Uh, Because in the final scene, when he confronts Hans Gruber, he's got his wife taken. I there's like another guy there. And I guess for whatever reason this time, it res. I just was like, why is this other guy here? Do we know this guy? I was like trying to figure out. Did this guy have specific relationships? Like, what was it about this? Is he just an unnamed henchman? I couldn't tell like what his deal was. Like, why is he in the final fight scene? Other than that, it's like cooler for John McClane to like kill two people. Uh, I don't know. Isn't the guy who looks like Huey Lewis. I think so. He's like at the he's in the final scene. You know when he does like the tape gun thing, he shoots him yeah. and then tries to shoot Hans. So like, who is that yeah. guy? Like, what's his deal? Why is he there? Is it is the scene heightened because he's there? Is it like a more fulfilling for him to kill him and then he's like not really done with Hans and there's like this extra thing. Like it's I, I don't know, I guess I, I think it's like an interesting choice because I think most of the time nowadays you would see just a face to face hero villain trying to save this one person. It wouldn't be hero villain villains friend. And then <laughs> like usually <laughs> I but think it's it, just, it ups the stakes. It's just it yeah. ups the stakes because he's got two bullets and there are two guys. So he's got to hit both like a bullseye two times. Uh, so I think it's just a stakes razor, and I think he was just the last one left because he was the one yeah. working the counter. Oh, downstairs, yeah, in the snack booth with the oh, like. Yeah. I got fifty bucks on these assholes. Yeah, He's yeah, I guy. love that guy. He's great. Honestly, the people downstairs are awesome. The way he talks to uh, the cop is amazing. It's just the bad guys in this are so awesome. They're so They're great. All great. And like, even his like weird line readings where he's just like, thank you for your time. And he's like, no problem at all. And he like has this weird <laughs> sing songy thing. He's just like, they're all, there's a famous story about the movie, the magnificent seven. Right. So it's like Yul Brynner was the star of that movie. It's it's a Western version of the seven, seven samurai from like the fifties. And it's got Yul Brynner, who's the star. And then the rest of the seven are all these up and coming actors. So it's like a very young James Gardner, very young James Coburn, very young Steve McQueen and uh, Charles Bronson and like a couple other guys. The, but the thing is, whoever would be the center of the scene, the other guys would be in like the background doing stuff. And because they were like up, been coming like young 20 something actors like they all were doing business and 
like Steve McQueen does this thing with like a knife where he's like flipping it around or does, and it's like not super drawing attention from Yul Brynner, who's like the star, but it like sort of is. Cause so it's like everyone, it has their like thing where they're like, fuck, I need, you know, I need to be noticed. Like, I can't just be like one of the seven. I got to be noticed that they're all doing their thing. And I feel like in Die Hard too, it's like the hacker guy, the, the you know, the guy who loves candy. It's yeah. like they all have their like little thing where it's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to use this moment to like do something memorable that'll get me noticed. <laughs> and it's like, that's like one of the reasons the movie's so great. It's like everyone, everyone's memorable from even like, the guy who gets killed and sent down, he's just like, he's got weird small feet. And he's like, no one is coming to help you. He's got like weird, like they're all weird line readings. It's just, everyone's so good. Everyone's got a look think, too. Yeah. 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 I think this was fun to do. I, this is when the, the movie, now I'm looking at this movie and thinking like, Oh, all these actors are having a good time. At least all the bad guys are, they're all, goofing off they're all doing weird voices it's cool it's like a fun it feels like it must have been a fun set i have no knowledge of this but just from like all the like goofy stuff they're doing it feels like you know they're able to take risks they do a bunch of different takes with fun stuff you know different line readings it just felt like it feels like everyone's having a good time as like performers like as an actor and and like the script is so good everyone gets like some fun lines you know yeah there's good quips I want to I want to do one thing. So I looked up the American Film Institute has their list of heroes and villains. That's like of all time, the top 50 heroes and the top 50 villains uh, of all time. A quick uh, control find looking for John. Oh, we got a hacker over here. John McClane did not make the list, but... Did you check the Hans villain side? Hans Gruber did make this list. He's down at 46, which I think is bullshit. Oh. But I think we should just go through the top 10 and you should say, like, let's see, is top, is Hans Gruber a better villain than this person? Because mm. I feel like he's better than most of these people. Dude, this the number is great. 10, the queen from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Yeah. Yeah, of course. He's yeah, better he's better. Her. Yeah. Reagan from The Exorcist. Reagan? Yeah. Yeah, they listed Reagan, not the (laughs) devil. Yeah, the 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 poor victim. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Phyllis Dietrichson from Double Indemnity. That's Barbara Stanwyck's character. That's a great movie, but like I think it's safe to say Hans Gruber. Yeah. This one's tough. Glenn Close from Fatal Attraction. She's pretty good. I've never seen yeah, it. Yeah, that one is tough. I got to take an L on that one. Mr. No shame Potter. losing to Glenn Close, though. Yeah, I know. Hans Gruber's better than that. Mr. Potter, A Wonderful Life. He's just a fat banker. I think it's safe to say that Hans Gruber's better. It's like absolutely Nurse better. Ratchet. Like sometimes they're like Nurse Ratchet, one cuckoo's nest. Like now we're getting to the top. The top four, I'll give you. Wicked Witch of the West. That's like iconic but i'd still take gruber yeah what's the wicked witch well i was about to ask what the wicked witch's motivation was and then uh, i remember that i've seen the musical wicked four times yeah i think her whole thing is she's just wicked oh there's actually a lot more to it than that matt you can't just take it as face value (laughs) i gotta show you gotta see dude 
Yeah, did you ever see? Yeah, Wicked. Yeah, that's that's what I think I read the book or something. Wait, is there yeah. more to it than it her just being wicked? Oh my god, dude, you are not going to believe this. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's your stance on musical theater? Uh, who are the other three at the top? I don't want my stance out there publicly. <laughs> this stance is huge, fan. Uh, the other three are Darth Vader. That's like a solid choice. Yes, Norman yes, Bates. That's from Psycho and Hannibal Lecter. Honestly, Norman like Bates, weak. Weak Norman pick? Bates, I mean, weak. I think those pick. top four are better than the, the... The bottom four are better than the top four on this list, I think. Say pretty safely. Yeah. It's like iconic oh, figures. Like no, I'm yeah. saying it's better than Reagan. I'm saying the one... The names that Matt just listed are better than the top four that he listed. No, those were the top. Number one is Hannibal Lecter. I read them in reverse oh, order. Oh, okay. I thought for some reason I thought you were going down the list, and I was like, "This makes no goddamn sense at all." I was no, like, no, "Why the fuck yeah, is Darth Vader number one?" Vader is yeah. number three. Vader, that's that's a strong. Vader's strong. I mean, no, he's iconic. Really like he, Hannibal Lecter, Norman Bates, Vader, and Wicked Witch of the West. Those are like iconic. Like you get, I don't know. They're they're iconic in a weird way that like Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life is not. Yeah, like not at all. Hans Gruber got to be like way higher. The shark from Jaws is down at eighteen. If the shark from Jaws is an iconic villain, if he's gonna be on, if you're adding animals to the list at all, he should be in the top ten, dude. Like, what are we doing? I've said it once. Oh I'll God. say it a hundred times. The shark from Jaws is not the villain in that movie. The mayor of Amity is the villain in that movie. The mayor of Amity, <laughs> honestly, true. should take a top ten spot on that list, though. He's bad. Yeah, he's Where's bitch. the Joker? Did you know that in Jaws two, the mayor of Amity, Amity's still the mayor? That motherfucker <laughs> got reelected. If that doesn't show you how screwed up our politics are in this country. He fixed the shark problem. He he hired the right people. He designated the the shark problem was solved. He he delivered on his promise to the people. I mean, I think there's a lot more to him than you guys are guys are giving. I mean, his kids were in that water too. Don't forget that. Oh, I think you guys over the summer should do a, a, a Jaws podcast and. Uh, and we did Jaws one. We got to do we Jaws two. Did. Uh, I've never seen Jaws two. That would be kind of fun. Oh man! Oh, it's fun. It's it's not as good at all, but it is very fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. As long as Brody's yeah. in it, I'll right. be happy. Guys, <laughs> we're coming up on the forty-five minute mark. Any last remarks you'd like to drop on this one? Any last things you would like to say about Die Hard before we do this again next year? <laughs> I mean, we got to save some stuff for next year, but uh, I do think it's. <laughs> It's a really, if you're going to watch it this holiday season, which I think you should, go in with a little bit more class consciousness and, and see, if, uh, see if my Marxist theory holds any water. I like that. I like I think that, it's, Tim. I think it's really fun to just think about, like, how much fun these guys were having filming this. I think it's just like a new, a new level for me to like be watching this movie and like thinking more about like the actors doing it. Like it's just fun. There's just so much going on. Like there's so many layers to it. Like you can really just dive in and view it. And it's kind of shocking how many different ways you can like view the same thing and walk away with different interpretations of it. Um, 
I don't know. It's great. This is, I next mean, it's an amazing year, I movie. Buddhist. I want to do a Buddhist reading of Die Hard next year. I'm fully <laughs> on board for that. Oh my God. Like the Tao of John McClane. There does seem to be some sort of a Zen, like he's able to get himself through all that stuff. Seems like they had yeah. fun filming it. We had fun doing this pod. This was so much fun. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Tim, I got to say, I truly did not mean to play you off that music. My finger accidentally hit the button, but here we are. We're riding <laughs> out the episode. Gang, thank you so much for listening today. Happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Uh, you know, we'll be back here. Is this it for the year? No, we're back here with the Rennies. We're going to be back here on We're doing the Thursday. Rennies next. Oh, my God. The two-part, the Ryan Reynolds Award for Excellence in Film. I'm so excited for this. We got great categories. We got great winners. We'll see you there. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Stay nerdy. <laughs>